there are a lot of people that I've talked to who crave this concept that we all have of passion, of purpose, of meaning, of direction. What was your process to kind of know this is towards my goal? This is not towards my goal. I have a mission. I have a purpose. And I'm going to keep working towards getting there. Be comfortable being lost. The state of being quote unquote lost is where the ideation comes from. That is a function that builds constraints for you to realize that you're in circumstances that you don't want to be in and you want to change your life. I think back um, across my life when I was lost and sort of looking for what was next, I was trying to rush the process of getting to what was next. I just wasn't being present. Don't rush the sort of process like stay lost until you feel that the time is right because that that's the space that allows you to to forge in a specific direction well dan let's uh let's jump right in so first of all i think maybe just frame what is spora and then i definitely want to hear about the product market fit and the timing and just the full journey so what is spora so spora is uh the leading culturally competent uh, virtual primary care practice in the United States. And so we serve communities of color, um, predominantly Black and Latino Americans across the U.S. Uh, we support them in providing access to virtual primary care. So they get access to our incredible doctors and nurse practitioners and physicians assistants uh, that are all trained in uh, cultural competence. Uh, they get access to proprietary um, data. So we've created some machine learning that can help folks better understand their risk profile for different chronic conditions. So things like uh, prediabetes, um, diabetes, hypertension, et cetera. Um, they just answer a few questions in a questionnaire. Um, that data goes to our, our doctors. They can discuss that in their appointments. And then lastly, uh, they're able to connect with one another. And so we have an amazing community of folks that are able to um, share information with one another folks that are in the same sort of life stage, um, like new parents, um, as an example, um, they connect with one another and how to still um, manage their health while still caring for others in that particular case. Um, and so those are some of the main sort of incredible value adds that, that folks get access to, uh, but we're just starting there. That's, a, that's an awesome mission. So you were saying that you've been experiencing very strong product market fit What's the product journey been like since starting and the, the journey since then? Yeah, so I started the company at the end of 2019 and really wanted to focus on addressing inequities and disparities. Uh, it was something that, um, you know, when I got to the point where I knew I wanted to start another company, I knew I wanted it to be in healthcare. I was just thinking about, you know, areas and spaces that, I was most excited about and that were particularly interesting. Um, and that I was really sort of uniquely, you know, uh, put in a position to try to address. And so, um, inequities and disparities kept coming up. Uh, I didn't have too much sort of, uh, primary experience of like having negative, uh, sort of in, uh, experiences in the healthcare system, but I didn't have to really search that far to find a lot of folks like, my mom, uh, uh, my aunts, um, even me sort of indirectly, uh, uh, yeah, I was a caretaker for my great grandmother. Um, when I was in middle school, uh, she was suffering, um, uh, from, uh, uh, late onset dementia during end of life for her. And so she came, um, 
up from her home in North Carolina to live with my family in New Jersey. And so during middle school, when I didn't have practice, um, I would come home early. I would take care of my great grandmother until uh, my aunt got home. And that period of time was particularly trying for the entire family. And uh, for me personally, it was, it was very difficult to try to, you know, go from this being my elder to a person that I need to sort of um, care for and, you know, like the, the dynamics are, you know, very off. Um, and it was just like a challenging thing to manage. But we did that because my great grandmother just wasn't comfortable with the providers and the caretakers that she had access to up in New, in New Jersey, excuse me. And so our family made the decision that I would fill in that gap. And when I looked around and talked to other families and other friends, that's not all of an uncommon experience. Um, you know, a lot of cultures um, you know, take this sort of familial um, position of solving for some of these issues that the healthcare system hasn't deemed as a particular healthcare issue or need of, of a patient. And so um, thinking about all those things, um, thought there should be some sort of, um, at a minimum, like, uh, you know, some sort of culture-centered uh, a primary care place uh, where folks could come and, and get better access to high-quality care. Um, you know, at worst, we thought that we could just increase access. At best, we could uh, save lives, increase quality of life, um, you know, business sense, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, increase uh, outcomes and, and efficacy, et cetera. And for us, we, we knew we needed to approach the problem from a different perspective because the status quo was already producing these worst health outcomes for these folks. And so from a product standpoint, foundationally, um, ended up defining what we call culture-centered care, which is you know, this sort of product framework, this way of thinking that is an evolution of you know, historically what folks would call patient-centered care, which you know, in, in the patient-centered care sort of frameworks, you see uh, incredible uh, UX experiences, uh, high sort of acuity and attention towards product design. You know, it, it's all the traditional sort of technology thing, but just in a healthcare context, really. Culture-centered care is what, what we were really sort of pioneering um, back then, is really putting the culture of the populations that we serve at the center of everything we do. And so that's thinking about who our patient population is, what are their lived experiences, how do they interact with healthcare systems as they're designed today, how do they make healthcare decisions, uh, who within the, the sort of family hierarchy is typically making these decisions, et cetera. And then, you know, designing our tone of voice from there, uh, where we show up in the world, um, you know, with whom we partner, you know, what's included in our product, uh, the languages that our providers speak, all that is really defined, um, from, from its core, looking at, you know, the makeup of our, of our, our patient population, which, you know, when you look at product design, it's not, you know, typically, a, a, you know, all that of a foreign concept when you put it together, but it still wasn't something that had been um, done and codified in, in such a way and sort of represented in a product, let's say, in healthcare. And so um, that was the impetus. And back then, you know, we we're just thinking like, okay, again, this is just, you know, a test. We'll see if this can increase access. Um, you know, we'll see if this is really sort of driving more engagement and just general sort of excitement. Uh, and I mean, we just knocked it out of the park. Um, you know, our app has a, the core app has an 84 MPS score still today. Um, 
you know, we have a maternity care pathway, another product that has a hundred MPS score. Um, our training that we have for all of our doctors that has a 96 MPS score. And so we really, um, exceeded expectation, um, empirically. And so it's like, uh, it, it's been a, a wild ride, um, because we really like, we, we did our work up front to, uh, to sort of vet our approach and our process. And, and thankfully we're starting to see the fruits of labor. That's amazing. How much do you attribute to really great problem versus really great execution? Obviously you need both and you have an amazing aesthetic, amazing design eye. It shows everything, everything that I looked at with Spore is just absolutely beautiful, which does not surprise me. But also it sounds like the problem deeply resonates with people. So how much do you attribute to the right problem at the right time versus the delivery and execution of it? Uh, or do you just kind of see it blurred together? Uh, yeah, I mean, most certainly blurred together. However, I think uh, there is something to the timing. Um, so, you know, addressing the, the right problem at the right time. Uh, I guess one of the things that I did leave out was, you know, just, just in looking at where we are on the sort of innovation curve, right? We're looking at digital health, um, you know, we're standing on the shoulder, Spore is standing on the shoulders of companies like One Medical, um, Carbon Health, uh, and, and like all the mental health apps that came out really in like the 2015, 2016 sort of vintage, like Joyable and um, Talkspace to a certain extent, et cetera. These folks laid the foundation for sort of priming the market in the US and us as users for thinking about, you know, connecting with doctors on our phones. Uh, building the infrastructure to manage HIPAA compliance. Um, those things back then were extremely difficult. <laughs> they were like very, very difficult to do. Today, they're, they're turnkey. It's like, it's a non-issue. And so being able to quickly execute and test out new iterations of solutions for this particular problem, you know, it would have been, you know, much longer tailed uh, sort of timeline for us to get to product market fit and really validation on any of our assumptions up front if we tried to do this back in 2015 to 2017. I think also like this problem around sort of inequities and disparities is not new. Um, again, however, I think, you know, being able to distribute a strong narrative with a really strong sort of brand identity that connects with the population and the problem that we're solving um, in the same sort of wave of consumer uh sort of engagement being high for just you know digital tools anyway that all really came together at the right time and so uh it it, it can't be discounted but it's most certainly a combination for sure yeah I, 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 it's always the age-old question of uh i don't one of the best blog articles i ever read it's like three paragraphs maybe you've read it derek sivers which is execution is a multiplier. I think it's just called multiply, dereksivers.org slash multiply. And the concept is your idea can be dog shit or it can be the best idea in the world. It doesn't quite matter. It's just a multiple on your execution of how how well you're able to execute against that. And so it's it's always kind of the balance of how much is it the idea, the problem set, the, the pain that you're solving versus the execution of doing it. So it's always interesting to hear kind of different people's perspectives on, on that approach. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I'm, I'm a big proponent of execution. Um, 
I mean, obviously, I mean, it's, it's subjective, but like even more like double clicking into it, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen, um, you know, and, and like, I, I, you know, this might be a little sort of like, uh, woo woo for, for the audience, but you know, like problems present themselves, um, you know, as a function of, uh, constraints, um, you know, particular sort of, uh, um, you know, uh, mindsets during a particular time, um, current events that are happening, et cetera. And so it's plausible and probable that many people are having similar sorts of experiences and similar sorts of ideas for solving similar sorts of problems. It just comes down to how talented a, an individual or a group of individuals is at executing that particular vision that they have for a solution for a particular problem, communicating it, you know, galvanizing, you know, the folks who need to galvanize, et cetera. And that's all execution. Um, and so, it, you know, folks that are really worth their salt are really um, students of uh, you know, sort of operations, these go-to-market playbooks, um, how to organize themselves uh, and groups of folks so they can execute at a high level. But also like, you're not gonna get these things right. So it's really just sort of executing on some sort of process to de-risk yourself over time, but also just learn things as quickly as you can at the early stage. One of the things you said earlier is crafting that narrative for the product, for the audience. Talk more about that because I think entrepreneurs often get fixated on, well, earlier entrepreneurs often get fixated on features or the experience, which is all very important. Execution is very important, but I do think that there's, you have that lens of marketing, which understands the value of a narrative value of storytelling. So talk a bit about how that shaped Spore and how you, how you lead with that as well. When you think about the, at least when I think about the, like from our patient's perspective or our user's perspective, sort of, uh, you know, in a sort of nebulous sense, folks just know that they're, they're having a pain point and they're experiencing a problem in their lives. Y you have to really prime them for how your product um, solves their problem and it alleviates the pain. Just, you know, creating it and hoping that people find it is not going to work. Just creating it. If you, you build know, it, right. they will not come. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, they object. Yeah, they will not come for sure. But also like, um, you know, whatever little sort of acquisition campaign that you ran for a month, uh, likely isn't enough data. Um, you, you don't know if you're in some sort of, um, cyclical time period. There could be um, external factors um, that are controlling your outcomes or, or contributing to your outcomes one way or the other. And you need to have time on your side to be able to, to really have enough data to look and see what sort of baseline looks like, et cetera. And often entrepreneurs don't have that amount of time. Um, and if you do, like, you have to be really disciplined to um, whatever resources that you have. I'm, I'm sure they're scarce early on. And so you gotta like, you have to pick your spots on what to double down in. And so, um, all to say that I, I, I think it's 
extremely important to spend a lot of time up front um, to the best of your ability to slow down and, and try to understand as much as possible about um, your problem and, and who's experiencing it and, and what you're building for them, what their early sort of feedback is to it, how they talk about it, how you want to talk about it, how, um, in our case, um, you know, doctors talk about the problem and academics talk about the problem. These are all sort of different um, uh, uh, sort of nomenclatures with these, these different personas. And, you know, the average, for example, the average uh, sort of reading age in the United States is, uh, I believe, a seventh or eighth grade level. Um, but we live in a, an environment when we go to a doctor's office, typically the doctor is speaking more than a patient is speaking, and they're using language that is not at a seventh or eighth grade level. And that leads to folks being in a, uh, you know, I was almost about to say high pressure, but they're just in a, you know, a small window of time with their provider trying to understand what's happening with them, you know, from a health perspective. And they may feel uncomfortable about understanding what the doctor's talking about. The doctor's burnt out. They're in a rush trying to sort of move on to the next, you know, eight, 10 patient they may have. And so you, the patient may not ask enough questions and leave not fully understanding what the treatment plan is, not feeling confident in the interaction they just had. And they don't, they tend to not comply. They tend to not uh, follow up with, you know, the, you know, the treatment plan, the prescriptions, et cetera. And so understanding that, that helped us figure out our tone of voice as a brand, as a company, um, but also just helped us inform how we need to train our own providers. So when they're interacting with our patients, how to think about their communication styles with our patient. Not to, you know, uh, instruct them to sort of uh, talk down or anything along those lines, but just understand that these are things that are empirically true. These are things that, you know, they show up in the clinical encounter, whether you do anything or not. And so we can either try to work against it or work with it and, tr and you know, try to work towards better health outcomes. Um, that's just one example, but like we, we didn't really have a full understanding um, of that until we started to do some early research, get, um, you know, just like early, like lo-fi designs out to uh, folks that are, you know, potential patients and get their feedback. Um, you'll learn a little bit more about how they think about, you know, making healthcare decisions, et cetera. And, and that allowed us to, um, again, like just put things in front of them that were already um, in line with, you know, how they talk, the things that they cared about, et cetera. That's awesome. I mean, I, I think that that's the truest sense of building a product based on user feedback. And any entrepreneur, you start with an idea, right? You start with a segment or sector or a problem, or you think it's your solution is going to solve that pain point, that problem. And you can get very fixated on what your idea is, what the features are, how it's going to look, how it's going to operate. Oh, it's going to be so amazing. And then you can spend all this money or all this time if you have the skills to go and build that, that MVP, which is such a term that no one actually knows what an MVP is, but you go build a thing yeah. and and then you just think that you just need to keep making your vision more aligned and you need to build into reality. But if you're doing it from a customer feedback driven approach, i.e. A, a true iterative product driven approach, what you just described is so fundamental. It's, it's straightforward, but it's really hard to do 
which is having that dialogue with your users. And it sounds like every single step of the way you've been doing that, which is highly, highly commendable, which probably speaks to your 80 to 100% uh, net promoter score. Without doubt. Without doubt. It was something that um, we, we, you know, we put a, a considerable amount of budget towards it you know, and the, the front end of designing the product and like with all products, like it's a, um, we are a very much a design led company. And so, uh, we get really in the weeds. Um, we slow down and make sure that we are talking to folks, um, again, different personas for sure, not just from our user perspective, but also when we think about, um, our doctors and our providers, um, those are things that are critical because. A, you know, I just think they, they lead to better products for sure. But also just looking at the market more broadly in a macro sense, it's an area of opportunity for startups. These are things that, um, a lot of that, like the larger healthcare incumbents just really don't get right. Um, yeah, think about your last sort of interaction with, uh, whomever your sort of health insurance company is. It's likely that like terrible, uh, yeah, he's speaking personally. You know, like it's, it's, <laughs> they don't they don't do a good job with the customer service. It's core design and just like designing services. So uh, it's an, it's a huge area of opportunity for uh, uh, for newcomers in the market. And so uh, I think it behooves all entrepreneurs that are in the space to, um, if they're not design led, you know, founders, like make sure they're investing in finding uh, some sort of uh, high quality principle. Um, uh, designer that can really sort of get in the weeds, but can help you scale a bit, um, you know, so they can ideally lead through research, you know, early iterations can quickly test things. Um, easier said than done for sure. Uh, I understand that, but you'll most certainly, uh, you'll see dividends on the other side of a successful process there. Talk to me, what, talk me through the process that a potential customer of yours goes through so specifically what they might experience or have experienced you said that maybe you didn't have too much direct primary experience but many people in your family did and you didn't have to look far to find it so talk through and teach me because i'm not aware um what that experience could look like currently in the system versus what they get through spora yeah so status quo today is um generally um, let's just focus on black Americans, um, higher, significantly higher rates of, uh, diagnoses for uh, chronic conditions, things like, uh, diabetes and prediabetes, um, hypertension, uh, chronic kidney disease, uh, coronary artery disease, um, and black males in particular, depression, uh, tends to go, um, either misdiagnosed or undiagnosed um, uh, relative to, to other populations. Because um, typically black males, uh, they demonstrate sort of symptoms of depression differently than the general population. And so the rubrics of uh, sort of measuring depression that include sort of normal distributions of, of different populations and, and black males in particular. Um, and so we tend to see this shift in a lack of uh, proper diagnosis and um, sort of misdiagnoses on that end. And so generally we see, um, higher mortality rates. So black Americans dying sooner, um, 
getting diagnosed with chronic condition, decreasing quality of life significantly um, earlier. Um, these sorts of things are, are very real and empirically have been studied for the last like 30, 40 years. With Spora, we, we focus on um, a few things that are very different from sort of any other you know, healthcare experience. So first, I mentioned differentiated uh, workforce. And so we train all of our providers in what we call, um, well, they go through a training that we call the Sport Institute. And so this is um, another tangent really quickly, and I'll come back to uh, uh, you know, the sort of difference in, in the experience. But one of the other problems that we, we uncovered when digging into why inequities exist in the first place, other than the very obvious answer that we live in a racialized society, um, racism is very much uh, implicitly and explicitly a component uh, into the perpetuation uh, uh, um, uh, of inequities and disparities. We, that's, we live in America, you know, we lived through pan the pandemic, uh, multiple sort of social movements. Um, that part is very real. It's a very challenging problem to solve on its own. There are folks that are doing that. For us, there are other issues that we knew that we could address through you know, innovation, like provider education. So today, even as I speak to you right now, um, no accrediting body in the United States requires health equity or cultural competence training for our MDs. And so wow. uh, um, it's, it's recommended, but it's not required. And because it's not required, there, there are a bunch of downstream effects. So um, there isn't sort of consistency in, uh, in trainings because it's not required. And so there's, there's no one sort of measuring it's the no variance in the, in, exactly. There's, there's no standard. Uh, there aren't benchmarks because of no standard. Uh, and then because those two things are also true, um, we just don't see it as prevalent as much. Uh, we look across, you know, medical institutions or, uh, residency programs. Um, uh, the trainings aren't as robust and they aren't really teaching, um, a lot of evidence-based, uh, tools that providers can apply in an actual healthcare setting. It's more sort of theoretical. And so we knew that we needed to address that. There's some early stage research that suggests that just trying to connect, uh, they call it race concordant care. So, you know, trying to align the race of the provider with the patient leads to better outcomes. Uh, yes, that is true to a certain extent. Uh, there's one study here in Oakland, uh, surveying black males, um, particularly, uh, for mental health screenings and there, there were better outcomes like in that narrow sort of uh, Specifically, of, like black males with black male doctors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, or just black doctors. Okay, um, but that's a band aid solution to a broken leg. Uh, providers of color, again, we're still under this sort of racialized American society, and so even providers of color are demonstrating um, uh, sort of biases towards um, underserved and uh, uh, folks of color to certain extents. Um, you know, we look at the population to a lesser degree than other groups, but they're so prevalent. And so the larger issue is that there's just a lack of training and the training is, is poor. And so we invested in creating, uh, it's now accredited by uh, the ACCME. Uh, it's a huge um, accreditation body for, for continuing uh, medical education. And now all of our providers can uh, get 
uh, they call them CME credits for completing the training. Um, we publish research uh, or present a research with Columbia. Um, empirically, we are making our doctors um, more culturally competent, um, whether they be folks of color or not folks of color. Um, and, and that was something that allowed us to you know, provide differentiated care to all of our, all of our patients. And so now, tangent over. So now coming back, I, I need to sort of explain what the Spore Institute was before just sort yeah, of like, yeah. you, know, you, know, you know, listing it off as a bullet. Um, but so folks get access to differentiated uh, providers um, that have been trained in these things and, and can provide better care for them. Uh, we also give them, um, we focus a lot on, on, on health literacy. And so understanding that for, it's a relationship. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, a few of the issues that present themselves with, uh, with our patients, uh, include just, uh, lack of access, uh, lack of sort of, uh, knowing what to do, uh, in certain, uh, scenarios, um, you know, who to call. If you don't have like great access, you haven't been interacting with providers. Like it's, it's like you just don't know, uh, where to go when something is, um, what you need to. And so we focus on, you know, health literacy. Um, and then lastly, giving folks, uh, access to as much data as we possibly can. And so sharing, um, uh, you know, all the readouts from those, uh, those health risk assessments, that machine learning that I mentioned a little bit earlier, um, you know, when we send over devices that, you know, in which we do remote patient monitoring, they get access to all that data. They can share it with whomever we want to start the relationship off that we're doing our portion by giving them the things they need to be successful, whether they choose to work with Spore or not. And so the, the, like the barrier to entry is extremely low. Folks can text us questions. As soon as they create a new account, they get that data from the health risk assessment. They can go and talk to any other provider if they need. But we want to make sure that they have the information and access to the data so they can understand what's happening and they can go have an educated conversation with whomever. We hope that it's one of our providers historically it has been, but they can go somewhere else as well. Um, but those are things that separate us from, you know, the, the status quo sort of experience that folks will get. Um, we think over time, this will allow us to, um, you know, continue to increase the quality of life of folks, help our patients live more joyful, fulfilled lives, um, but also just be healthier. That's first of all, and very awesome vision, but also execution and vision is one thing, but then also being able to do it and impact, uh, the, the community that you're focusing on, the, the, the user that you're focused on, the, the fact that you're starting with, I want to provide better quality of care for this particular segment of society. And then not only are you doing that, but you're also expanding it to let me work on fixing all of healthcare. In, in a degree, right? By expanding out the, the, the institute and building up the, the data so you can have a data-driven approach to give people and empower people, both users and providers, a, a better quality of care across the board. And it's, I mean, it's, it's really incredible. That's pretty cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's in, in like some of these things, like, you know, there's a lot under the hood. And, yeah. and so you may look at, you go to the landing page and um, we get this question a lot from, you know, partners or, you know, historically investors of, you know, they sort of arrive at their own conclusions of thinking we just connect, you know, providers of color with patients of color and that's the solution. And how do we scale that? And I'm like, no, it's not, 
it's not that. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> let me let me sort of like open the hood here and show you like all the things that we built to make sure that we can like we have uh uh you know, sort of constraints in place. Um uh but we also have uh you know our own benchmarks and we're building a very unique data set so that we can steer folks to the right um doctor at the right time that understands them and can provide them high quality care. It's not just about, you know, their interaction with Spora. It's what happens inevitably in the U.S. healthcare system when you, you're likely going to interact with folks outside of um, your sort of primary provider. Um, and so you know, when that happens, how do we instill that they have some sort of comparable experience? Um, how do we just set them up for success? These sorts of things are really important for us to create impact, but I think also just build a strong relationship with the folks that we're serving. Bring back trust. I, I think that yeah. in theory, your primary care should be one of your most trusted experts in your network. And I think that's degraded over time because there's been no competition for healthcare. There's no need to innovate historically because it's so expensive to enter into the space and it's so compliance and so regulated that there weren't really startups or anyone that was trying to challenge the status quo. And then, like you said, in the past 10 years or so, it's finally gotten to the point where it's a little bit more doable. And then each year that goes by, there's more infrastructure to make it more accessible and more, more challenged. And, and I, think, I think that is the very amazing thing that America has led with, and it's across the world, but innovation through having an open market and the best product, hopefully, wins. Not always the case. And there's a lot of other fucked up things that can kind of come in. But yeah, it's you are challenging the status quo by building a better product, both for the consumer, the provider, the the data that you're 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 making available, and just kind of brick by brick, you're you're building that vision. Thank you. you. Couldn't agree more. Have you thought about? I'm sure you've thought about it. What are your thoughts on keeping it specifically for people of color for its uh, entire perpetuity as a company versus what are your thoughts on opening it up to? The entire population. Yeah. So first, we we don't exclude anyone from uh, getting care at Spora. Um, we have patients that identify as white, um, Southeast Asian, um, South Asian, um, obviously uh, Latino, Black Americans as well. Um, what I would say is that we have designed our solution for problems that we know that specific populations encounter empirically. And so when folks come to Spore, they're going to get, you know, that, that fit into that, that sort of, uh, you know, that population scope, then they're going to get a better experience that we know that they would otherwise. Um, for us, since we spend a lot of time up front and, and understand the, the populations that we serve, um, you know, expanding to different and also just like talking about and, marketing um, and partnering with organizations, community-based organizations to help us um, you know, really sort of engage the communities that we're serving. That all takes time and resources and we, we don't, that's not a small thing to us. Uh, we really make sure that we put our best foot forward there when we're, we're entering new markets, whether it be, um, you know, populations or geographies. And so it, there's most certainly opportunity there. Um, there are problems to solve. Uh, most certainly it is something that does require resources though and so um, it's a function of making sure that we have um, the team the right team um, the right amount of capital uh, uh, and then that we're solving the right problems that, that makes sense for us as a, as a business at that time 
but in the interim, like I said, uh, we, we don't, you know, exclude care, uh, to, to any particular population at all. Uh, but when we think about, you know, designing these unique, um, care pathways, these products, these services that are tailored for, um, sort of narrow populations and, you know, maybe even narrow sort of life stages, like chronic disease management or pregnancy or something. Um, I view that as a, a launch in its own. And so we have to go through an entire process uh, to make sure that we get that right. And aligning with kind of what sounds like your vows, if you're going to do it, you want to do it right, which requires resources, obviously. So you're focusing on the problem set that you know you can really focus on right now yeah, and, and exactly. execute well. Why, why healthcare in the first place? You, you kind of touched on it. You said, I knew that the next startup I did, I wanted to be in healthcare. And then you were kind of looking around for, for some of the more specifics and inequalities you mentioned. But why healthcare specifically? What, what about that was so sticky to you? That's a great question. And I've been thinking a lot about that over the last year, really. Um, this is my second company that I've, I've started uh, in digital health. Um, and if you asked me that same question back in like 2015, uh, when I, when I launched this last company, I wouldn't have had a great answer for you. Like I, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to be a doctor growing up or anything on those lines. Um, but I have always been really called to service, um, and fulfillment. So sort of, um, the service piece, you know, just finding sort of like some sort of like, I just want to be useful. I want to make sure that I'm, I, I don't know where that sort of comes from either. Um, but I, I really just, I want to use my time here to be useful to other folks. I think it's a human thing, but also it's just like, I know for me personally, it, it's, it, um, it transitions into fulfillment for me. And so after being able to be useful and um, particularly working on really challenging things and complex problems, I find a lot of fulfillment in the entire process. Over time, as an individual and an entrepreneur, like I was really sort of attaching that fulfillment to the sort of um, result, uh, unfortunately. And so, like, you know, as a, I've been an athlete my entire life. I mean, that may stem from sort of that foundation, but you know, we're working towards the goal. Unless I sort of achieved the goal, like I wasn't really feeling that, you know, fulfilled. And maybe it's because I'm getting older or I've, I've been, you know, on this journey for the large part of the last decade or, or the last decade plus. Um, I now just find fulfillment in the entire process, the entire journey, uh, for different reasons. Um, but also just making sure that I'm, learning as much as possible. I'm feeling engaged and I'm using you know, my entire self in my work, which is really important for me. Um, but then also in healthcare, like especially in like healthcare delivery, we're really close to the feedback that we get from our patients and our providers. And so, um, you know, you spend you know, a lot of time up front sort of building these businesses and these products, but you know, you, you Right after an, a, a session and an, an appointment with a doctor, you know, we get feedback immediately. And I underestimated how, um, how good that would feel, but also just how 
much of a motivating factor that would be for sort of strengthening my resolve to keep going. And so, you know, this is something that people are really, really getting a lot of value from. They love their interactions with Sephora. Um, they love their provider uh, experiences. And the testimonials we get are like, they're incredible. And, and the stories are like, you know, we have a, an anecdote, you know, there's a, we have a maternity program uh, called Sephora Mamas. It uh, focuses on patient education and uh, patient advocacy. Uh, we support uh, our mamas through their entire pregnancy, but also the fourth trimester. Um, you know, it's led by uh, a doula. You know, folks are um, you know, in cohorts of women that are in the same gestational age, so they you know they're going through their pregnancy together, and they they connect pretty frequently to discuss what's happening in their pregnancy that's new. And we also send them um, devices so they can track things like their blood pressure. Um, et cetera. Uh, we have a particular patient that um, was, uh, her blood pressure readings were um, consistently increasing. And, and it got to the point where uh, we needed to recommend um, that she go to an in-person um, urgent care facility. Uh, and so she did so. And um, a problem that Black women tend to have um, quite consistently and frequently is that they, they don't get believed in the healthcare setting, um, whether it be about, you know, how much pain they're in, et cetera. And so, uh, this particular patient not getting believed, uh, she's pregnant, blood pressure is rising consistently over, um, you know, a few weeks. And she was able to show her providers there the, the readouts from in the app and was able to get the care that she deserved at that time. Now, we don't know how that story would have ended if she didn't get access to that care, if she would have left frustrated or what have you. But the fact that she was able to use the social skills to advocate for herself, to you know, understand this is like, this is a likelihood that you'll run into uh, as, a, as a black female uh, when you're going into you know, the healthcare setting. So you know, here are tools to use um, to get your point across and, and to, uh, to communicate. And then also like, here's the data, <laughs> you know, here it, it like, it, these things are objective. This is what is happening. I've been measuring these things, uh, three times per week over the last month. Um, you can't argue against that. And so, uh, it, it's those kinds of stories that, um, you know, like it, it's incredible. And I, I couldn't have imagined ever sort of creating something that like would produce something like that. Um, however, like, like when that feedback does come in, it's just like, all right, this is something that's real. We need to continue to make sure that more folks have access to this as quickly as possible. That's incredible. And not only did you, I love that you highlight the the education piece of just giving that mama the skills to advocate for herself. That's that's an extremely powerful piece, which is inculcated in everything that you're doing. You obviously gave the data and the training, right, as well to her to kind of advocate for herself. And then as horrible as it is that she was not believed, you, you are also addressing that problem, maybe not with that one doctor, but in the cultural training that you're doing with the Institute, you are, maybe you didn't impact that doctor yet, but hopefully at some point, one day, you'll have impacted many more doctors to be more culturally aware and understand their own biases or, or whatever that, that, that is. What, what 
is that? Is that just racism? Is that discrimination? Is that what is it that makes black women less likely to be believed? Yeah, the the tough answer that folks don't want to hear is that it is uh, a, a large percentage of um, again implicit and explicit racism and bias. Um, it, it's these things have been studied again, um, and they're empirically true. This is why um, black women, in particular, are three to four times more likely to. Um, uh, to die from, from, from childbirth or problems um, uh, uh, during childbirth. Um, morbidity rates, 60% um, of them are uh, addressable. And wow. yeah, 60, 60%. Wow. And it, it's, it's just like, uh, it's crazy to read some of these stuff, it, it, these statistics and some of these studies. Um, however, it does provide hope when I hear like the statistics, like towards the end, um, that 60% of maternal morbidities um, for black women are preventable. Again, so th there's a lot of opportunity there to save lives, um, increase quality of life, uh, and help uh, you know, uh, black women get healthier uh, sooner. Um, after childbirth, but to answer your question, it's it's foundationally um, stems from uh, racism as it exists in society, but also when we look at these sort of studies and um, measurement systems that were designed um, using white males as an example as the the sort of persona that we were designing for, and an example being uh, body mass index, and so BMI. Um, a, a measure of quote unquote sort of healthy amount of, of fat that body should have. Um, this was measured, you know, using, uh, middle-aged white males as, as the base population to create the BAM, uh, the BMI standards off of. However, when we look at other populations, um, uh, you know, like folks across the, the African diaspora, it, the, these, these, sort of BMI uh, sort of measures just, uh, just don't match. They don't align um, statistically. And so um, that, that's a, another sort of aside. We have to look at sort of the, the standards that were created, who created them, how they were, like whom they were measuring to create them. Um, because now they're just sort of, you know, we, we throw around BMI pretty consistently when we're talking about sort of nutrition and sort of, you know, uh, weight training, et cetera. But like, you really need to understand, you know, whom that was designed for um, at the time, and so those are those are like a few things that lead to worse outcomes. Um, but that's a pretty deep topic. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate at least, I mean, some context on it. I know you're not focused on that acute problem, and there are others focused on it, but the amount of pure ignorance there is so incorrect data just wrong data and then just ignorance and then you layer on just true outright explicit racism on top of the implicit or or what were you saying explicit and implicit what were the two terms i was i was yeah 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 I, yeah, yeah implicit and, and um yes you know uh, don't go into too much detail there but but oftentimes um these things do show up 
um, without sort of, you know, conscious, uh, you know, uh, nature to like, you know, what folks are doing, but they show up because they're either patterns or it's just the way that things are done, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Are, do you have any, if you wanted to leave pointers for someone, any good organizations to be a part of, to learn more, to, that you've encountered on the health specifically, like implicit and explicit racism in the healthcare space, even if that's not the problem that you're directly attacking? Any recommend, recommended yeah, um reading? I think, well, just from, um, I think a, a services perspective, there's a, a nonprofit called, uh, I forget the name of the organization, but the website is um, medi.org, M-E-D-I.org. And their goal is to provide access to, um, for underserved folks across the nation to navigate towards whatever state they're in. So you start by entering your zip code, I believe. And then, um, you know, whatever sort of um, category of healthcare that you're looking for. So like uh, mental health solutions, primary care, um, sort of nutritionists, um, et cetera. And they can find you um, all these amazing sort of either social services or just, um, you know, incredible sort of organizations that are doing that work in that region. Um, that's one recommendation, I think, from a, um, a study perspective. There aren't any coming to mind right now, but I'll follow up. And then hopefully like when you share this out, um, you know, there's some sort of, you know, text box I can like send you over the link and you can send it. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. What does Spora look like in its penultimate or its final form? What do you want it ultimately to be in the world? Is this a grow big enough and then partner with a large organization, get acquired IPO, run this for the next 40 years of your life? What do you ultimately see? in Spora's future and your future leading it? Yeah, well, this is my life's work. It's also attaches with my life's mission as it is today. I, um, I think I've acquired unique skills to, um, to serve and I wanna focus on helping uh, folks of color live more joyful and fulfilled lives by being healthier. And this is the current manifestation of that sort of uh, legacy. As long as I'm the right person to lead the company, I'll, I'll lead the company until I don't feel that way anymore. And you know, like, I, I don't know what that looks like, but uh, I, I, since I've been around the block a few times, like I know that finding uh, problems and, and uh, you know, solutions like ours um, for problems that exist like inequities and disparities in primary care don't come around often. And so um, I'm doing everything that I can in my life, uh, you know, within SPORE and outside of SPORE to make sure that we can continue to grow for the next 40 plus years. Uh, this is most certainly a business that um, can go public. There's enough opportunity there from a revenue perspective. Um, you know, innovation, um, most certainly there's a lot of opportunity there as well. Also, there's just like a lot of lives that are looking to be impacted. You know, we often get the feedback from either doctors or patients that they've been looking for something like Spora. And again, as long as that's true, you gotta 
be here until the cows come home. Like I, I you know, I'm really aligned with uh, impacts. I'm aligned with making sure that um, I can realize that sort of legacy that I'm focused on and folks that want to join in creating that kind of future can also uh, join in and create that kind of legacy as well. There's something so powerful about when, when you focus on time horizons that are not just three years or five years or let me sell the company or get acquired and have my big exit or whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be in the entrepreneurial world. But when you start taking the time horizon out to 10, 20, 30, 40, the rest of my life, when you're focused on things from that perspective, it's amazing how you can achieve so much more results than focusing on what I'm doing next month or in a year or whatever. Have you always been focused yeah. on, I mean, this is why it's called the long game. Have you always been focused on the long game or is this something you've kind of found your way into one way or another? No, I've, uh, I've been thinking about this for the largest part of, um, the last 20 plus years. Um, I don't know what it I was a little bit of a weird kid, maybe, but like in sixth or seventh grade, I knew the that I wanted to be an are the weird ones. <laughs> I knew <laughs> I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, uh, and I, I, I kept feeling this calling towards service. Um, even like right out of um, college, really, the jobs that I was taking and the work that I was doing, I was always doing to learn new skills to try to put myself in a better position to start a company. And so like I did sales, I did sales operations, and then uh, market research um, led to design and product. And um, ultimately, like the you know, first company that I started, like uh, taught myself how to code. And so um, I, I, I was just always sort of aligned with um, again, sort of fulfillment. Um, but I also think in high school, I, I don't know, I, it's like, I was just really like trying to figure out like sort of meaning, um, a bit. And meaning of life or meaning for you? Yeah. Or... Yeah. Meaning of life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, you know, I was reading like a lot of like, I was, you know, in philosophy classes and like, uh, yeah, like studying the romantics and Keats and these folks and like that was like really really starting to think uh deeply about the meaning of life and uh at back then uh yeah I was aligning my life to find my passion and inspire I wanted to find something in life that I felt ecstatic about like consistently and then I just wanted to do that do that at a high level to sort of inspire folks to either go down their own path or or just sort of like join my thing. Very nebulous. Like, I don't know where that sort of came from, um, but it's something that really stuck with me and that ultimately technology ended up finding and supporting. Like, I was called to sort of move out to the Bay Area um, when I was feeling sort of complacent and stuck in New York. I, I grew up in New Jersey, went to college in New York, so I hadn't gone that far. And was feeling a bit complacent, um, took a risk at 25, moved out to the Bay, uh, and then found this incredible environment of folks that were thinking similarly about creating the future. And 
that was something that was the passion that like that was the 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 uh sort of passion filled you know sort of range of thinking activity discussions that i was like always looking for um and then put on top of that you know being um you know in a black body like i i you know i i, I just like technology and computers and like the internet and stuff you know <laughs> like i was like and and uh i uh but also like i don't know i like yeah, I was just curious about like the world. And so um, when I came out here and, and started to like work at companies like SurveyMonkey and Salesforce and et cetera, like I was looking around, I wasn't seeing that many other folks that look like me. And um, yeah, there are a lot of people sort of like starting to do well, executives starting to do well in, in that class of sort of company, like, you know, the Facebooks, their executives over there, Pinterest, uh, Path, like, you know, there's a few sort of like prominent black folks you know, that were in like key positions at these companies and like all these articles started to pop up on Inc and Fast Company about like diversity. And I was like, oh, this is like people like, you know, there's a real sort of interest in these narratives. It's a real sort of like, it's important to be visible so that folks that are in line behind you, if they need it, they have a reference point. Not everyone needs it. It's not everyone sort of like, you know, identifies, but like, it's it's valuable and important to give folks the option to connect with something so that they can feel that it can be done and that they can overcome whatever circumstance they find themselves in currently. And that was um, the inspirational piece for me. Uh, that was something that I could get behind and didn't have to do much, just had to make sure that my story was public. And this is like part of it. Like whatever is going on with the business, the business that I'm working on at the time, me, like I try to make sure that I'm and my story is available and visible. So again, like I knew when I was growing up and coming up, like there just, there wasn't, not that I like even thought that I needed to have a reference point. I probably did though. Um, but they didn't, it didn't exist. And that may have changed my experience. It may have changed like what I studied in college. I may have like gone to computer science versus economics. Like, I don't know, but what I do know today is that it is important. Folks have told me that it's important. And so I try to make sure that, um, you know, again, my, my story is, is, is out there and invisible so that folks can, um, can, you know, get with it for whatever they need. And, and hopefully that, that is something that inspires folks to, um, to create, you know, better, better, um, either products or just like better things in the future. Yeah. I mean, it's commendable, but it also in a very real way, it's an extra burden that you intentionally are taking on, right? It, you have opted in to choose to kind of share your story, but not only are you trying to live a good life and trying to build success with your company and do all the things that you're doing in your life, you're also trying to do that in a public way to set examples. So I think it's commendable, but it's also, uh, I, I can imagine that at times it's, it is hard and it, it challenges you to think about other people that might be looking up to you or looking for an example like you and you mentioned you know reading keats and, and looking at the romantics not a not a whole lot of uh european black philosophers uh, a couple hundred years yeah, ago yeah, to, yeah, to yeah, kind yeah, of look exactly. at inspiration yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. that's uh, yeah precisely what uh there are a lot of people that i've talked to who crave this concept that we all have a passion of purpose of meaning of direction and sounds like you started really 
introspecting and looking for it early on. And you've been aligning your life towards that ever since. Do you have tips for those who might feel more lost in that exploration? What, what was your process to kind of know this is towards my goal? This is not towards my goal. I have a mission, I have a purpose, and I'm going to keep working towards getting there. Great question. A few things that come to mind include most importantly, like maybe even, yeah, I think objectively, just like the most important thing is just um, be comfortable being lost for a certain extent. There's the, the, the state of being quote unquote lost is where the ideation comes from. It, it, that is a function that builds constraints um, for you to realize that you're in circumstances that you don't want to be in and you want to change your life. And so oftentimes I think, at least my experience, um, when I th think back, um, across my life when I was lost and sort of looking for what was next, I was trying to rush the process of getting to what was next instead of, I, I just finished Eckhart Tolle's book, uh, The Power of Now. And so, <laughs> but so like, I, I, I wasn't, um, I, 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 but like, it's, it's so real. It's, it's so good. I, I just wasn't, um, being present and, not in a sort of like woo-woo way, but I, I mean like really uh, understanding and looking around my world in a sort of 360 view and doing a sort of audit, if you will, of like things that I, that gave me energy that I loved about my life, that I love doing uh, and things that I would like to change instead of just trying to, to like rush to get to the next thing. And so the first, um, uh, piece of feedback would be like, you know, don't rush the sort of process, like stay lost until you feel that the time is right, because that, that, that's the space that allows you to, to forge in a specific direction. And you don't want to rush that. It, it's not worth rushing. Like, um, so take time there. Uh, the second piece I would say would be really like whatever, um, really sort of learn from others that have gone through similar sorts of challenges and problems. This is not a new phenomenon. Humans have been trying to figure this, this problem out for themselves um, probably since the dawn of time. And there's a wealth of knowledge that exists largely in books, but also, you know, in videos, um, but largely in books because books are like a, a medium where folks can really push thought processes very, very deep. Uh, and they lend themselves like really well to, um, in, as an experience, um, you know, making sure that, you know, the reader or the consumer can, you know, go along at the pace that they need to and not sort of get removed from, uh, you know, where that particular author was in their thought process at that time. That's, that's a lot more difficult to do when you're, you know, listening to, Something you can go back and listen to like an audiobook, but like, you know, a movie or a video, these sorts of things are, are, are a bit more challenging to that respect. Um, 
And, and so like really trying to learn from other folks and not just like contemporaries, like, you know, go back and read um, like Marcus Aurelius's like meditations. Like he was going through the same thing. Like you're the, the, same you're the second person to bring up uh, meditations in the past three episodes or something. I, I've never read it, but I've uh, read excerpts. So maybe maybe that's my homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, or, um, you know, for me in particular, sort of like uh, really diving deep into some of uh, James Baldwin's work um, uh, and just like thinking about purpose um, as it relates to uh, again, being in a in a black body in the U.S. and in a now more globalized society, like how to to manage my own identity, the identity that I want to create for myself. Um, there are folks that have thought through that extensively, and they they've written about it. And so, like the second piece would be learn from your elders. Go back, read, uh, listen to um, folks that have tried to um, you know forge their own paths as well. That there'll be things that you you can learn, whether it would lead to you know just strength, uh, sort of emotional fortitude, you know, tactical things, etc. Um, third, I'd say ask for help. Um, humans are just really wired to want to help people they want to say yes it's i mean like i can go into a lot of detail about this but uh suffice to say that asking for help or just asking for things in general you're likely to uh, get the things that you want in your life um more than if you just sort of expect them to happen obviously when you say it that way but even if you just sort of like you're trying to create sort of like external factors and motivation to like you know create this sort of reality that you want oftentimes just asking um for it will, will like uh, uh, you know folks will give it to you um obviously not in all cases for sure but um empirically folks are more likely to say yes to questions because they're hardwired to to want to say yes and it actually requires more energy to say no um but also, like, it, it, I think it's something that helps folks better understand where they want to go. And so, you know, before asking for help, you have to really understand, like, you know, what you're trying to, to get help with or, or where you're trying to go, what you're trying to achieve. That process in of itself is something that will help folks just better understand where they're going, what they want to, the reality they want to create next. Um, but also invites the world to support them, which is like, this is like so powerful. Just asking for help, like ask, like it, it creates all these really positive outcomes um, for individuals. And it's something that often like, I don't know how this happened, but you know, like folks sort of view it as a, as a sort of weak act or, um, you know, uh, a signal that they don't know what they're doing. Um, but in, in reality, it, it signals that you know exactly what you, what you're doing and like, and what you need. And like everyone, everyone needs things. And so like, uh, it's the exact opposite, but I, I, I would recommend those three things. I think that is some very seriously, very thought out sound advice. 
very good advice. One of the, one of the, the, I don't know if principle is too big of a word, but I do like Ray Dalio's book. Uh, one of my life pr principles is very analogous to what you said of don't worry about getting unlost or, or kind of stay. It's, it's fine to wander. Right. And so for me, the way in which I sum that up is seek discomfort and discomfort mm. can come in many forms, but one of the forms of discomfort that is most in the current zeitgeist is boredom or not having something to do. And so we almost have this addiction to stimulation, to always speaking immediately when we're asked a question or always having an opinion or always looking at something on our phone, or we can't even stand in line to pick up our coffee at Starbucks anymore without pulling out our phone and distracting ourselves with, with mindless dribble that you won't even remember you looked at five minutes from now. And yeah. so the discomfort of silence, the discomfort of stillness, the discomfort of being lost, I think like you very, very eloquently said, can stimulate that, well, what do I want to do? Why do I feel this way? What, what, what do I want to fill this stillness and emptiness with and, and what resonates with me? Um, and it's very uncomfortable stuff to kind of work through. It sounds like you start working through at a very early age, but I think that's phenomenal advice. Yeah. Um, couldn't agree more. And, you know, just to bookend it, I think like, at least in my experience, the order that I've gotten when I'm in those periods of, um, you know, sitting with discomfort, um, I, I've, I've been able to find some sort of joy in it now. Just like nothing is in this life is a constant other than, but even, even like, not to get morbid, but like, you know, in death, like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of like immediate transition. Like, um, like, yeah, it, it's, it's a, a guarantee, but it's not a constant experience. And so like all these things that are uncomfortable, um, they too will pass. All these things that are super positive and feel good, they too will pass. And just understanding that you're in this cycle, you'll have another opportunity keep your chips on the table, you know, <laughs> like, uh, in all facets of the word, like, you know, emotionally, uh, you know, from a health perspective, um, you know, you, you'll find what you're seeking. You've mentioned it twice and maybe it ties into what you were just talking about of, of death is a phase, death is a stage and, and you will pass through it, but you've used the specific wording of, I am in a black body or something to that effect. What uh, is yeah. it about that phrasing? I, I find it very fascinating. So what, what does that mean? Why do you say it that way? And yeah, tell, tell me about that. Yeah, these are great questions. Um, like, um, the more that I'm... Um, to answer your question directly, I say it that way because I just like, I respect the separation between how the world perceives me in different contexts from how I perceive myself. Uh, I, I don't think experiences, um, 
directly are black or or an, or like you know any other race. I think they um, you know like sets of experiences. Um, you know they they're uh, folks from different populations tend to have them for a bunch of different cultural sort of reasons. But if I were to say I am black versus I am in a black body, I'm just sort of separating. I'm seeking to separate um, everything that I do and attaching it to these things being black. I, I exist in a black body, and in like in the U.S., that means a thing. If I say I'm black. If I go to um, uh, to Paris or Tanzania or, or Egypt, um, you know, I say that I'm black. That means that that's a different sort of sort of contextual thing, and the expectations of what someone that is black does is different there. And so, I just started saying that to separate my own experience from the experience itself from, you know, how I'm finding myself in this experience. Like I'm, I'm in a black body. And so like, I know that regardless if I do the same exact thing, it's, it's viewed a different way. And I'm calling, I'm calling out the reason that it's viewed a different way. It's because I'm in a black body. Your body is the lens through which the world perceives you. Yes. That's fascinating. And I think, I think that there's, so much truth in that there are skins that we wear literally black skin white skin other other color skin but there are skins of entrepreneur there are skins of man there are skins of son daughter these are all labels that we wear but they are not necessarily who we are they are a piece of what our perception is and how we carry ourselves and the clothes that you wear but they are not necessarily the same as who you are. Exactly. What aspect of you is, where do you see alignment between the things? So the, the, the perception of how people perceive you versus who you are. Do you, do you feel a need to kind of disentangle those and separate them? Do you feel like they need to have a certain amount of alignment? Where does Dan, the mind, Dan, the identity end versus Dan, the thing that we perceive in our world. I used to think they should align, and I, I for a long time, um, sought to make them align. And this is like really one of the core sort of learnings as an entrepreneur. Um, you know, in my first business, you know, started with, you know, former coworkers and roommates. And so, you know, basically overnight, I went from, you know, just being coworkers, friends and roommates to I, I'm their manager and I have to find ways to, to motivate these folks to, to do things, um, uh, and, and to work on, on the business and, and feel motivated, et cetera. And like, I wasn't skilled enough to do that at that time period. Um, but I was still trying to, I, I didn't have the sort of insight and awareness that there needed to be a sort of separation and change in, um, sort of my perception, how I showed up in 
the workplace and, and like, just like in our relationship in general, more broadly. Um, but I was trying to sort of align them and it, it just ultimately, like, I feel like a lot of folks that start businesses with their friends or, you know, old roommates, you know, folks they knew in college, whatever, probably like run into this issue, like, and have to overcome it very early on because it doesn't work. And so now, you know, I, I just recognize that, you know, as a founder and as a CEO in particular, I represent an office and again, just like I'm in a black body, like there are a whole bunch of perceptions that come attached to like, you know, uh, a CEO and a founder and like yeah. all these things that people, uh, expect you to do and from you and like, think that you are, think that you do and think that you, you like, you care about, you don't care about, et cetera. And so, um, it's a very real thing. And, and so for me, um, I try to do a good job of, you know, sharing like our beliefs, uh, my beliefs from like the context of the business and like the world that we're trying to create. But that's kind of the extent of it for now. Like, obviously, like in our conversation, we've talked about a few pretty like deep topics, like, and I have thoughts on them for sure. And like, I have, you know, things that I've written and, you know, like, we'll see if they see the light of the day, but like, it's not, it's not the time to distract folks from how I'm viewed largely in, in like the general populace right now. And, but also just like in, in the world that I'm trying to create, like our attention spans are, you know, dwindling, you know, folks may pay attention to like things that I say for, you know, half a second, if that, like, I want it to be consistent with like the thing that, that I'm really, really you know, aligned with and really care about the most. Um, and then like, otherwise I have like other, I've found other like, you know, friend groups or, you know, acquaintance groups or networks where you know, I can talk about other things. Like I've been an athlete my entire life. I have a, a cool sort of group of runners that I, I run with. And like, that's the sort of like constraint of our relationship there. Same with soccer. Um, you know, have, a, have another you know, bunch of like friends from, uh, from college that are out here in the Bay area and like get to sort of let loose and, and be my like, you know, young self with them at times, like 18, 19, 20 year old self, <laughs> like sometimes, uh, but also like not. And so I've, I've tried to be intentional about creating, um, you know, life of these different networks where I can still sort of, again, after having done that 360 about things that I know that sort of give me energy that I love that, you know, uh, make me feel happy. Like I know where I need to go for those things for now. And then, you know, if, you know, I want to share more as a sort of, um, an artist or something like later, then I'll try to find the right time. But for now, like, I think that approach is working for me, but you know, we'll see if we're all just trying to do our best. So like, you know, we'll see. We will see. Right. Uh, yeah. that is the, that's the beauty of life. We get to mess up and try again, mess up and try again and just keep going. Yeah. Maybe to end on a, I've, I've been struggling with, I'll give you the choice. I've been struggling with, do we end on a, a lighter note or, uh, another deep, dark, mysterious question? So the choice is yours, Dan. Do you want to answer the question of the balance of taking care of yourself while being an entrepreneur and having all these pressures? So. How do you specifically 
experience joy. There's the deep, meaningful joy of work, but then there's also, you said, let loose and be your 18, 19 year old self with friends. What does that dichotomy look like? So that's question number one. Or on the other side, we have the question of what is a current struggle, problem, growth area that you've been wrestling with? Why? And, 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 uh, and what's your, what's your approach to it? So the choice is yours, A or B path. I think folks, yeah, I think I've been too dark on the app already. So let's go with the light. <laughs> Perfect. So what do you do for fun? How do you make sure that you don't get too serious all the time and you, you take care of your, your humanness in addition to all the identities and, and growth that you're doing? Yeah, I try to, um, I, you know, I like, I got to shout out my friends here. They're just like hilarious folk, but like, I just try to laugh at, as much as possible. And like, I, I learned this from, um, I think Jerry Seinfeld said it in one of his, uh, his episodes with cars, with, uh, comedians and like, I, I forget who the other comedian was. Hopefully I can remember it, but, uh, they were just talking about it, like their comedian sort of viewpoint on life in that a lot of people like that are like very sort of serious and like, you know, uh, tight, like may not laugh at a lot of the circumstances that, um, that a comedian will laugh at and like, and, and it's a, it's a lifestyle as much as it is a craft. And I think it was Neil Brennan actually. And like talking about like, you could be at a funeral and like finding, finding material and jokes. Um, and, and, it, and it, it's, it's, it's an intentional sort of perspective on like their experience that they want to have, like while they're here and like, who's to say it was the comment on that one way or the other, like both are like, it, it's your experience. It doesn't have yeah, to be sad unless you, you want it to be sad. It can also be funny and enjoyable and yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't have to be like, yeah, not like, you know, rude or derogatory, but like they're like, you know, it's a choice of trying to find a balance of these different things. And so I've, I've tried to, to do that with myself. Um, my partner and my girlfriend, we were like, we we're just trying to really just like make each other laugh as much as possible. But then like my friends, like, um, same sort of thing, like, um, you know, even with our kids, like, you know, having a lot of, um, time to sort of catch up on what's going on in our lives, but also just like, just for whatever reason, just like trying to laugh as much as possible. And like, that's something that has extended into the, fo the folks that we recruited at Spore, like for whatever reason, uh, <laughs> like our all hands, sometimes they turn into like you know, folks that are giving their updates, you know, like they'll do a little stand up routine. You're not like, not seriously, but like, you know, like it, yeah. you know, folks will like, you know, they, they show themselves and like they, they, they'll want to tell jokes. And I think it's, um, it's, it's a way to keep, um, things lights, really enjoy the time that we have. Um, it, but it's something that just like also was that, that's like important for me. Like I've always sort of been like that. That's been my sort of identity in my family. I'm always trying to like make, you know, my brothers and, and, and my, my parents and my family laugh. Um, and that's just like, you know, it's just like really important for me. I think also, um, trying to like step away from, um, the work as well. So again, so like, intentionally finding some time in some space uh and putting constraints around it uh 
to, to be lost again. So um, for me, that is a walk. So I make sure that I am getting out for a walk, usually like first thing in the morning. Um, I'll walk to, uh, you know, sometimes I have time for like 10 minutes, sometimes 15, 20. But I try to get out um, before sort of like the world needs everything for me immediately. Like I try to just get out and, um, you know, walk around my neighborhood. That's something that's really important for me to also just like start my day off a little slower uh, than if I just like dive into my inbox. But then also, um, you know, just taking some time to be out in nature a little bit. Uh, something that I've enjoyed recently. Dan, if people want to find you online, where should they go? I am Maurice Miller with three R's uh, on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and we are at Spore Health across all social media. And we'd love to connect with anyone. Um, SporeHealth.com is the website to learn more about uh, the incredible uh, sort of care that our doctors are providing. And uh, thank you, Elijah. This has been really, really awesome. Um, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. This was truly a pleasure. Thank you.